Frankie. Rodriguez. Guerrero. And William. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Okay. So I've come here um, on the basis of you inviting me here and not knowing that there was a kind of a going away party for these uh, two roommates y'all have here. And I was like, okay, well, cool. More people. And yeah. So uh, we're going to talk about film today, of course, on this podcast, this prestigious Film for Sight podcast. And my first question to you, Frankie, is what do you remember your first film to have seen? It was probably a cartoon. Are we including cartoon or like, a, is this like a live action type film thing? I think that would work. Okay. Yeah. I think it was The Lion King. I'm pretty sure that was the first one. Um, okay. It was a long time ago. 1994. Oh God, I was like five or something. Did you see it when it was in 3D? When it came, like when they oh, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> no. 3D, even... No. Even if it was out on 3D when it first came out, I don't think Brownsville had the technology to actually <laughs> like, facilitate the oh, 3D yeah. there. Yeah. Well, okay. How did it affect you, I guess? Like, because that had a big effect on me when I saw it. I was like, this is a musical, but it's Hamlet in a way, and this guy dies. <laughs> but j- just a little bit. He'd yeah. just be a little dead, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> okay. What's your favorite all-time Film. My favorite all-time film. Good God. Uh, or how about this? What's a film that you could defend no matter what people threw on it? That I could defend no matter what people threw on it. Mm-hmm. Oh God, film is so subjective that if people were to throw <laughs> something on it, I'd be like, uh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> sweet, we start a new conflict. Uh, a film that I could defend no matter what people threw on it. Probably Schindler's List. No surprise there to anyone. No surprise, No surprise, given my obsession with Jewish things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ashamed because I have not seen that yet. Well, I have not seen Fiddler on the Roof yet. I seen Fiddler on the Roof. No, I have not seen it's Fiddler so on the Roof. It. It's a classic. And I have not it's read the diary of... Anne Frank. <laughs> I haven't read the diary, of, the diary of Anne Frank. I haven't seen uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and I have a Jewish studies degree. It's pretty crazy. Dang. But I have seen Schindler's List. Okay. Least, least we got that one there. Did you have to watch Schindler's List for class? Right. No, this was like growing up with my sisters when they were in high school and I was in elementary. Okay. And then I saw it another time in high school, and I think I've really only seen it like maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Now, did, did movies like that help to spark your interest in Jewish culture, or was that something that came, like, later? Um, not really. So, um, most of my life didn't really care about people or much of anything. Or Jews. Or, or Jews. I mean, Jews are people. <laughs> contrary to co- contrary to what a lot of the world has wanted to do sure. uh, to them, the, the Jews are still people. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's more a... Uh, it's more like a connection in terms of finding Jesus that has kindled my interest okay. in, in Jews and Judaism and Israeli culture and all of that. Schindler's List was just kind of uh, something that I liked growing up because mm-hmm. I really, really, especially as a kid, liked darker films. 
And Schindler's List is pretty heavy. Okay. <laughs> How about on the other side of the spectrum? How did you feel when Passion of the Christ came out? I really did not like Passion of the Christ. Okay. Um, yeah. I saw it with a group of friends and I think part of the reason I didn't like Passion of the Christ is because it wasn't Jesus and so in, in psychology there are many many personality tests but one of the older ones is called the Big Five mm -hmm. and one of the things on the, on the scale there is the openness scale and people who score low, score low on the openness scale typically have like a really really firm like definition between reality Would you and be the film. judge of that or is it, it there's like an actual test that I oh, took wow. and okay. I took this during my psychology class actually and those who score low on the openness scale typically like a film needs to be super realistic and like the closer it is to the realism the better or mm -hmm. it needs to be very very like overtly artistic mm -hmm. to where it's not pretending to be something it's not like it needs to be very very like blunt about it being a film or blunt about it like trying to convey the reality of a situation and so Passion of the Christ was really really trying a lot I think to be this like new take on the crucifixion <laughs> and show some of the graphic nature of it which it was very graphic the medical right i read a medical report on crucifixion it's awful it's, it sucks ass um <laughs> but it was still a bunch of these um there's a bunch of these white people playing archaic jews of the ancient middle east and only one of them was actually jewish but she's ashkenazi so she has the lighter skin and more the European look, so it was. Oh, okay. It it was kind of jarring to see whitewashing, uh, whitewashing, or just kind of like, okay, cool, like this is, this is not that much different than like a, a portrait of, of Jesus on the cross in, in in a cathedral or something or in the Renaissance, but only it's more graphic. So forgetting the rest of the film, unless mm -hmm. this has something to do with it. Are you mad it had not more? Uh, relied on the resurrection or if it not had taken more time to uh, talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the tomb I think I think I'm okay with that I think in terms of what made it a very very difficult film to relate to and a difficult film just in terms of artistically not simply just the fact that this man portraying Jesus is having just the shit whipped out of him and nailed to a cross, mm -hmm. um, is that a lot of the precursors of this climax of the film, which is his crucifixion, it's the passion, so it makes sense, but mm -hmm. there wasn't much of a very, very relatable aspect to the Jesus that was portrayed in the film. There wasn't, um, to me, a whole lot of sense of his his humanity conveyed. It seems like there were some scenes of this man dressed up as Jesus speaking Aramaic and speaking the things that Jesus said, but there was not much heart to it. Oh, there yeah. were, you know, the Beatitudes, there okay. were parables he made, but... I really like how it started, though, where it starts in the uh, the garden. Mm. Right. I think that's the best way, or it, the way they told it, at least I like the setting. Here's here's one. Maybe Schindler's List. Mm. Um, What's a film that has made you cry, no matter how many times you'll see it? 
A film that's made me cry, no matter how many times. Schindler's List actually is not on there, which is probably surprising. Uh, Passion of Christ, also not on there. <laughs> um, I can't really think of a film that made me cry, um, but one that did make me very emotional recently, in recent memory, was Inside Out. Oh, um, yeah. And I think part of the reason why seeing that film was was very powerful in the sense that it was very, very much like these are portrayals of people in an artistic fashion, mm-hmm. they're CGI. Mm-hmm. So there, was, there, was, there wasn't that whole, like, we're trying to make them real. It's like yeah. they're not. Um, <clears throat> and so there wasn't any pretension attached to it. But the messages it conveyed, especially in my life right now, are very, very relevant in the sense that I'm helping people a lot of emotional stuff. And, um, and it talks very much about emotions. It talks about validation. It does it in the context of, of a daughter and the parents. And I think a lot of people maybe go in seeing it in the, in the heart of the daughter. But as I was seeing this film, it was making me um, feel more like a parent, as it were. Wow. Um, and so... Okay. Um, when I was viewing this film, very much for me, it was like, yeah, the, the daughter's the main character and her emotions are the main character and the vehicle and everything, but like this is a film that, that is for parents. Sure. Um, I think kids can get a lot out of it in terms of it being validating to them and like, oh, okay, cool, like things are hard and I'm a child and trying to figure stuff out and that's just kind of <laughs> going to be sadly kind of how it is for the rest of your life, but it's, you know, and it's going to be okay. You moved around a lot when you were a kid. Right. Uh, not really, no. Not really? No. Okay. But, um, but with my intense desire to eventually have kids mm-hmm. at some point, something that conveys a message that's very powerful for how a parent can parent sure. is very, very, very powerful for me. And I thought that in spite of it just being this children's film with graphic renderings of, of creatures and people... <laughs> um, that the message it conveys, especially for parents, is very important. Your kid goes through shit. Oh, yeah. Support your child when they're <laughs> going through shit. Uh-huh. It's okay. Your kid's not going to have a perfect life, yeah. and you're not going to be a perfect parent. So deal with that reality and support the shit out of your child. <laughs> so you, you talked about how the, like, the show or the movie relates to parents and how it was going to relate when you're a parent. Mm-hmm. But how did that movie relate to you at looking through the lens of a child or looking through the lens of your own childhood? Um, I didn't really start to confront how weird my childhood was <laughs> up until maybe six months after seeing that film, so about two-ish years ago. Um, and so in the context of my own childhood, I really actually didn't even bother okay. putting together this child's experience and my child's experience because I was just so much focused on like the parents' experience. Right. and. Um, and in this period of time where I do not have children, um, I still want to be very much a dad. Right. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, in terms of like comparing it to, to, to my child, I mean, I, maybe some emotional validation would have been nice, uh, I guess, but I don't know. My childhood was a little weird, so. <laughs> I guess you kind of answered my last, or my next question, which would have been, oh, what's a film that changed an outlook, you know, on your life? You know, and I guess Inside Out really did on parenting. So, mm-hmm. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, so we'll move on to the next one. What's a film that you love to hate? Film, okay. So there are, there are a number of them. But, um, Let's get started. 
the the most <laughs> recent one, and it's gonna get pretty heavy here. Um, the most recent one that I love to hate is Split. I know yeah. a okay. lot of people, a lot of people like have 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 enjoyed the film, and I can understand. <laughs> I can understand why that is. It's a, it's it's maybe a little bit more of a novel idea. Let's get us let's get a, a person who suffers schizophrenia and multiple personality disorder. Let's um, do something with that. Mm-hmm. Do something a little bit psychological thriller instead of just the. The, the gory bullshit we see a lot in the last 10 years with film where it's kind of like it's not really a scary movie, it just has gallons and gallons of blood and layers of right. flesh. Um, but the reason why I love to hate this film <laughs> is, um, on, on one hand, I have... Dim Night Shyamalan. Well, I mean, his, we, we watched, we watched the, the home version, and so we had this commentary about... About the about his vision for the film, and, and that oh. was a little bit a little bit pretentious, and felt a little bit like artistic masturbation. But that aside, um, hmm. there was uh, the the thing that was that was annoying to me for the film was uh, on one hand the the social worker also uh, hashtag spoiler alert. So those of you all haven't seen the film, avoid this. Um, I'm going to spoil it and don't really care, but. Um, the social worker, the therapist that's tending to, 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 to the, the schizophrenic patient, um, is condoning schizophrenia, basically. And as a prospective mental health <laughs> professional, I see, I see mental illness She's, and it, it, it causes damage right. to people. So on one hand, it seemed like she was... She's like, you gotta release this monster inside of me. I think I remember some of that. I mean, just the stuff she was saying, (laughs) it was kind of like, oh, your cocaine addiction, I think it's a really, really interesting way that your brain has has evolved Uh to use cocaine to keep you from dealing with your abuse, or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, yeah, cocaine is a coping mechanism. It destroys your brain. Mm -hmm. Schizophrenia... Could be a coping mechanism that could destroy people <laughs> like the girls oh, yeah. that it damaged in the film. Hmm. And so the main character girl, the main character I feel is actually kind of the schizophrenic patient, and I think the girl was kind of an accessory there to contrast, but the 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 main female lead, um, who is a victim of child molestation, uh, it right. seemed like the film did not portray any sense of her recovery okay. from... Abuse and 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 I well she was kind of keeping to herself you know she wasn't like the the Valley Girls in, in that car right now the Valley Girls were they were they, so, they, they needed a unicorn frappy but um. <clears throat> and later on we've already gotten to spoiled territory she has the scars of self mutilation mm-hmm. of the cutting yeah and I don't know anything about uh, being um, you know child being a child molest well, um, so yeah and so so what did you see that. <laughs> She didn't show or, you know... So it wasn't necessarily what she didn't show. The character herself actually exhibited a lot of traits that are typical of, of, of victims of, of either child molestation or, or rape and abuse in adulthood. But okay. um, it was more the fact that she was still in this place of oppression and still in this place of being trapped. And even when she's free... Um, they could have ended the film with her killing this final form of the schizoid, the beast, this like meta-human <laughs> personality that he has where he kind of like moderately hulks out and right. whatever. <laughs> that also was kind of 
just weird as a thing. I'm glad I didn't weird. get too, too far. No. You I, know? I, <laughs> I was ready for, like, spikes to start jumping out of the skin. Yes, so. he was going to grow wings and, and stuff. <laughs> I was certain. It's like he was going to turn into the, the Antichrist or something. <laughs> yeah. Legion type church or whatever. Um, but at the end of the film, you know, she has this chance to kill him. She runs out of the ammunition. And he lets her be free because she is broken, because she is a pure person who has gone through shit. And um, he's an abusive person. He is someone who has taken people and has trapped them. His schizophrenia, which is a means by which he avoids his abusive background, that abuse consumes him and he becomes the abuser. He becomes the one who's into control. And, and rape pathologically is based on power. It's based because on abuse. Because it, it may be the one thing that he knows, so he goes back to it. Right. And, right. and, and the, the, the abusive and especially the, the rapist pathology is all about control and domination and dehumanization okay. of a person. There's really not much of an erotic element in terms of the pathology of it. There's an erotic element in the sense that genitals get involved and there's what sexual that, abuse. But, yo, okay, what was that scene about? He wanted a girl to strip down though you know uh, that I'm pretty sure was supposed to be a uh, a, a mixture of the the abuse a mixture of the desire for power okay. uh, also OCD that manifests in that particular personality okay. because her clothes were dirty so a mixture of both but um, even in spite of that at the end she gets to go home free because her abuser her rapist if you will even though he didn't sexually assault her um, but all of this is in the context of child abuse. He lets her free. And so at the end of the day, it is still the rapist, the abuser, the, the oppressor that has control over her fate. Mm -hmm. And there's no sense of empowerment for this woman who has suffered years upon years of abuse from her uncle, um, has no male figure, it seems, to provide her any safety, even, um, even as far as her friends are, her her girlfriends didn't really seem to be super supportive or emotionally intelligent either. So all of this, this the, the message of this film, I love to hate because it seems to, it seems to, in, in an unintentional way I feel, affirm this sense of hopelessness and helplessness and so defenselessness in in the ones who are abused and uh, to the extent that I very very much would avoid anyone who is in recovery oh, yeah. uh, of sexual abuse to avoid this film um, and even people who are trying to figure out what it what it's like to, to, to support and, and, and console a victim of abuse um, if they're in a deep relationship with them to not see that film as well mm -hmm. um, I see the artistic direction it went into. I think it's heavily responsible, though, in what it did with its artistry. Okay. What's a film <laughs> that you could, you could recommend that's a better version of Split? You a know? better version of Split? No, it doesn't have to be a thriller okay. or horror, but... I mean, like a, a, a situation where a woman's just fucking tired of it and um, gets free, or...? I'm uh, <laughs> speaking more on abuse and how you could... Cope I'm not really sure I have seen one. Okay. Um, a lot of the ones that I've seen haven't really gone super deep in, in either end with abuse. Um, I'd recommend a film called Sybil. 
Mm. Where she's not she's not uh, schizophrenic, but she has bipolar disorder. Ah. And it's okay. a TV film from the seventies, I want to say. And I I like how um, how it portrayed her. And when I took psychology and failed that class, we saw that film, and I was just like um, everything in there. Well, the teacher really recommended, it and I I just really went along with it and said okay. Well, if it's in the seventies, it can't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> um. What's another film that you love to hate? Another film that I love to hate. Um, let's see. No, not Krampus. That one. That one was. That one was was bad, but not super funny bad. Um, <laughs> another film that I love to hate. Oh, okay. Uh, Resident Evil. The, the first, first one. one. The first okay. one. Okay. Um, the reason I love to hate it. Because everything goes wrong for everybody. And there is no, there, there's just, there's no, like, redemptive force about the film. But less so, like, it ends on, like, a sad note. Because if a film ends on a sad note, I don't necessarily mind it. But <laughs> it, it reminded me, honestly, a lot about work. My current <laughs> place of employment Murphy's Law just is the law. Sure. Things break. We can't get the computers running. The printers jam. People are understaffed. <laughs> people quit. People have meltdown. Whatever the case may be, um, a customer comes in and thinks that the aliens are here to protect us and not to harm us and starts the, the X-Files take over the store. And so um, it felt so very similar to work in the sense that all of these people are may, maybe trying. I don't know how much effort they put into planning this this whole thing to take care of this weird computer and all the zombies, but it was just so exhausting watching this film and everything going wrong, and it was like, good God, this feels like work. <laughs> um, minus the zombies and like lasers <laughs> that like eviscerate people, but... Yes, that one. That one. I, I love to hate it because there's just absolutely nothing that goes right. And as a planner and someone who's obsessed maybe too much with quality assurance, just yeah. all of the things that oh, go yeah. wrong are awful. It shouldn't be called Resident Evil. It should be called Clusterfuck or Shitstorm. Mm-hmm. Is what it should be called. Okay, what's a guilty pleasure film? A guilty pleasure film. Ooh, um, <laughs> let's see. It's probably gonna be something from the nineties. Ooh, yeah, Naked Gun. Naked I love Gun. It. I love it. <laughs> Naked Gun is a guilty pleasure film for me. Um, mostly in the sense that I don't know of too many people who know of it. That's just a great film. It's not even a guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, and also, um, it's just it's it's just the type that type of nineties humor mm-hmm. that didn't. Well, they don't make spoof and satire like that anymore. Right. I mean, it wasn't pretending to be smart necessarily. Right. It was. Being absurd in a great way, a full body condom on two people as they're having sex. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, just, it's, it's, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another thing that, that, that I love about Naked Gun is when, in, in one of them, I think it's 33 and a third, and the whole, the whole series of Naked Gun, no one Naked Gun, the whole series of Naked Gun <laughs> I'm all about, where Mother Teresa's in this musical and she's in Calcutta and she's oh, yeah. singing about singing in this, this impoverished and diseased village and she's she grabs a baguette and she's just dancing with this baguette uh, uh, great great times great times oh, it yeah. also has a lot of positive nostalgia to it mm-hmm. hmm. 
What is something in a film that can qualify it to be a good movie? I don't know if you have this. Like, if it's not in this movie, it's not going to be a good movie. It's kind of a, it's a funny thing my family and I have where we say, if no one dies, it's not a good movie. <laughs> I would say... Someone has to die for it to be, to be in the realm to start being qualified to be a good movie. So it needs to be inherently, like the intent behind it needs to be some level of creativity, okay. some level of originality. Um, um, to give an anti-example, Transformers, all of the Transformers, just <laughs> all of them, it is just made for, for profit. It is just mm -hmm. a extended slow-mo music video with celebrities and robots and explosions and as many breasts as they can toss on right. there to increase the money for fan service. Um, something, something maybe like Inside Out or Schindler's List mm -hmm. or um, maybe other films. I mean, there's even some, to a certain extent, a, a certain level of artistry to, to split as much as I hate it and think it's, it's a horrendously damaging message. Um, a movie has a chance to be a good movie when it is creative, when it is artistic, when it's not simply someone making a film to make money or to promote a product or something, mm -hmm. but like they're just actually making a film. <laughs> and even, even if it kind of sucks, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, was, it was something that someone made and they put thought into it and they put some artistic endeavor right, into it. Right, they tried. Yeah, they tried, as opposed mm -hmm. to... This 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 was this was here to waste time. There was there was mm -hmm. nothing else but to waste time and other people's money on this. Okay. What's your favorite genre of film that you'll go to? Um, favorite genre is probably general umbrella comedy, <laughs> um, and then lower tiers would be romantic comedy or <laughs> dramedy. Um, so have you seen any of the Woody Allen romantic comedies? I don't think so. No, because Sleepless in Seattle is not a Woody Allen one, no. even though she did Prance Around with Meg Ryan, Meg Ryan back in the day. But uh, <laughs> I don't think I've seen any of his, and if I did, they weren't memorable enough, sadly. Um, but, um, but things like You've Got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle, okay, that yeah. type of romantic comedy. Oh, my, my mom loves You've Got Mail. Yeah, it's great. Good. Also, I love email. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, stuck, in, I'm stuck in 1995, um, so <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> And in terms of dramedy, there's one that I saw recently with some friends, and I can't remember what it's called, which is really depressing. Um, it's one uh, that follows the life of the, this improv troupe, and it's kind of more of an obscure film. And uh, I think it was written, or Ira Glass of NPR had some hand in writing it or something. And um, it, it was a comedy. Um, but it had drama in it, okay. and so I think I like romantic comedies and dramedies more than just a, a kind of standard comedy for the sense that there is a certain level of realism to it and a certain level of more personability to the characters. Um, I, I think everybody, if not at least most people, have had some interest in romance. So you can watch a romantic comedy and... and maybe relate to it on some human level. Uh, also, most romances 
are a comedy. People are awkward. There's awkward moments where people say something. Yeah. There's some weird sexual innuendo that was said around the parents that wasn't intended or whatever. With a dramedy, life is funny, but it's, it's dramatic. People's oh, yeah. parents die and whatever. So um, I think that's why those two particular subsets of comedy are why I like that more than just the uh, umbrella of comedy. If you wrote your own script for a movie, what would the plot be? If I were going to write a script of a movie, yeah. what would the plot be? The plot would be a loose memoir of my life. Um, nice. the, the scenarios might be changed a little bit. Um, the, the characters would probably be almost entirely based on singular or combinations mm-hmm. of, of people in my life. And it would be it would be a dramedy, and there would be a lot of awkward and a lot of quirky in it. And some people would probably at the end of it feel like they've 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 suffered bipolarity because mm-hmm. there would be moments where maybe the character who is portraying me is helping someone through a deep depression and like a, a you know period of suicide, and the next scene is me with one of the other characters portrayed as 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 a friend who's making the funniest <laughs> jokes about something sexual or yeah. or whatever. Um, maybe uh, like a... God, I don't even, I don't even know what, what mixture of it it would be. It would be... It, 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 okay. it, it'd be something... It'd who be something star for... Yeah, who, would play, who would play you? Oh, who would play Frankie? Who would play Frankie? Who would play me? So it's <laughs> difficult for me to figure this out because I would want it to be someone who's Mexican. Uh, I'd want it to be an unknown, I actually. Yeah. I would love an unknown to play me. Okay. And, in fact, probably most of this, I would want it to be people who are unknown or, like, people have, like... Underground. Uh, or, or, I think I've seen that guy uh-huh. in a show or something, but he wasn't a necessarily the star. A bit part in a big film. Right. Yeah. Um, in part, because I think <laughs> it would help the quirkiness. I think it would help the, 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 the realism mm-hmm. of, uh, of the plot. And... Also, you know who I see just on face look alone. On face look alone. If people, if someone wanted to get someone to get you a look alike, it would be Adrian Brody almost. Adrian <laughs> Brody, the pianist. The pianist. Um, <laughs> I I did watch that one. It was, it, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe I was comparing it to Schindler's List too much, but it was it was alright. I. I believe the the pianist himself approved the film. Oh well, good. Went how it went and everything. It was a it was a good it was a good movie. I think with with Adrian Brody, they would need to have him tan a little bit. That was the height of that man's career. Sadly That's to true. say, he could come back. He just needs the right. The right he just needs to to come back as a <laughs> a, a Mexican man in his late twenties that <laughs> lives a life that makes no sense. <laughs> um, are there any actors or actresses in Hollywood that you despise? Uh, James Franco is the first one that comes to mind. You think he's too pretentious, um, too snooty, it, too... It, it's n- n- not necessarily that, but every time he comes out on screen, I, I, I feel like the man smells like, <laughs> like, like putrid pot and... A very, very strange, maybe inedible cheese. <laughs> um, like the mixture of those two, those two smells 
just instantly fill my 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 being whenever I see this man on film. There is just a special. I don't know. There's a. I don't know what it is about about James Franco. He's not a bad-looking guy. He doesn't yeah. look necessarily dirty. I mean, Matthew McConaughey, I hear, doesn't even usually use much chemicals to for his hygiene. So I hear he he, he smells like Woodstock. But um, there's just something about James Franco. The the way that he you think he, he's fake. Uh, I think he's heavily overrated, and again, okay. just for some reason, his appearance makes me think of this mm-hmm. horrendously potent pot with awful cheese. <laughs> what's a what's an actress or actor that can do no wrong if they murdered your best friend? You'd oh still love man, <laughs> um, who who fits that? Um, like Meryl Streep, just to be. No, Mel- Meryl Streep, I could see her dropping someone. Meryl, <laughs> Meryl Streep's got a crazy side. I know that's on her. She, uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, Jack, Jack, Jack Nicholson, I think, <laughs> I, I think maybe he drew a little bit of his own inspiration in The Shining. Um, that, man, that man's kind of crazy. Um, let's see. A very endearing... Who's a very, very endearing hmm. star out there? Um, or someone super classy. Well, did, you, did, did, you, did you say actor or actress? I said either. But either. really actor is okay. non-gender uh, Right, right, you know, because book, you know, whatever. Not, 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 it's not, only when you come down to the categories right. in the Oscars. Well, in keeping with the Oscar tradition, I will give an actor and an actress. <clears throat> actor, uh, Anthony Hopkins. For okay. some reason, that man just <laughs> is so very classy to me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, even as Hannibal Lecter, the weird, crazy motherfucker that he was in that film, I just, I found myself thinking, oh, man, he's, he's, he's an evil man, and there's, 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 no, there's no reason why someone like that should be loose. But he just is so classy, mm-hmm. and he's so smart that it's like, ah, oh, like it, I think, I think every murder in every movie should <laughs> be kind of you, because like, that's, that's interesting, and that's kind of fun, mm-hmm. and... And strangely human, also. Um, and then in terms of actress, mm-hmm. I would probably go with um, Imogen Poots. Pro- I was thinking. I was thinking a little bit older. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan is 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 very wholesome. If we're going for a newer actress, I would go with Jennifer Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mostly because uh, I don't know if it was the Oscars or the Gold- Golden Globes, but there was one award show that she showed up to. And she was unapologetically tipsy. Oh, yeah. And she, I mean, she was very, very upfront. And she seems, she, she seems like she would understand the, the, <laughs> the, the true, real awkwardness of life. So uh-huh. um, she'd probably be my actress to, to uh, nice. put forward in that category. There's, there's all, there's, Sandra Bullock typically has the, uh, the, the, the oh, wholesome sure. category. Most people sure. think she can do no wrong, which some people hate her for. The, the level of wholesomeness and whatever, but... She can be a sassy lady, but... Emma, Emma Watson. Emma she, Watson? She's pretty classy, yeah. Which one's Emma Watson? She... Hermione from Harry is Potter. Her okay, that's who I thought, yeah. but... Mm-hmm. Perks of being a wallflower. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'm, I, I guess I'll move on to William, if you're fine with asking oh, some questions. Yeah? yeah? Uh, answering cool. What's the first film you had ever saw? <sighs> I'm trying to remember. That was a long time ago. I was wanting to say Lion King, and 
but I'm not sure if no. that's the case. Mm-hmm. It might have been like they put it back in theaters and I went. So I think that's it, but I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite film? See, that's hard because I'm not a big guy. Well, I'm not big at picking favorites in general. But what I've been telling people recently, and the one, well, I'm gonna get. I can. I'm gonna give you two favorites. Silence of the Lambs, because you mentioned Anthony. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. I think it's incredible. Five so, beans and Chianti Clays. It's so special. And uh, Eternal, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. That one is a good one. Yes. Mixes like genres and mm-hmm. concepts. I love it. What's the film that made you cry? A lot of films make me cry. <laughs> uh, see, The Breakfast Club made me cry. That's nice. The, yeah. the, the scene when they're deep. all they're sitting in a circle and he talks about why he brought the gun, why he was in, in detention and brought the gun. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I didn't know. Like it, it gets there so fast, mm-hmm. and so it's not, not like build. It doesn't like build up to it. It just kind of happens. No, yeah. It's just like. Whoa. <laughs> kind of like those situations in real life that just uh, yeah. kind of happen. Uh, but then it goes from that scene to the dancing scene, and I'm like, why is there a dancing <laughs> scene in this? Could we just take that part out? <laughs> but when it, the peak of that movie is so great. That's cool. Uh, What's a film that changed an outlook on your life? That changed an outlook on my life. Like, hmm, global warming is a thing, thanks to <laughs> this film. Thank you, Al Gore. I'm, th- I'm thinking about this, and I'm really not sure if there was a movie that changed an outlook on my life. I don't know. Uh, I kind of want to say the movie Up, and I'm not sure if it changed an outlook on my life, but I just really connected with it so mm-hmm. emotionally. The first ten minutes. The whole movie. And it's the so, whole movie. Yeah, it's so inspiring and beautiful and sad and mm-hmm. meaningful. And there's just a lot of really good concepts in there. So I'm not sure if that changed my perspective, but it definitely influenced my oh, perspective. Oh, yeah. It's a great theme in there. Yeah. Um, what's a film, if you have one, that you love to hate? I really don't love to hate a lot of things. <laughs> Too easy going. <laughs> and we're not talking about basketball. I could, <laughs> could say LeBron James, because I love to hate LeBron. <laughs> Just wait till they come up with a film okay. about him. <laughs> You're a basketball fan, right? Yeah. What's your favorite basketball movie? Hoosiers. Hoosiers is gay. Space Jam. Clearly Space Jam. Space Jam. Wait, is it Dream, Ro- Dream like Road? Mike. Road Dream, Dream, Dream Road or something? Glory Road. Glory Road. Glo- I haven't seen this. Glory Road is so good. Okay. I love Glory Road. Why do you love it? It's a good movie. It <laughs> is. Okay. It's a good story and it's about race and it's... Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, when I saw it, I was always like, this is a really inspiring sports movie, hmm. in general. What's a guilty pleasure film? Something that may be so bad to the public, but you just you kind of like cling on, you know? Well, when I was young, I haven't watched this in years, but when I was really young, I had a DVD of Inspector Gadget 2. Oh. And there was a time. <laughs> Not even the first one. <laughs> there was a time when I was sick and I, I had to miss school. And I watched it like once every day for like a week. Okay. And I feel like I could watch it, that now mm-hmm. and still like, oh, I remember those. Okay. And like, just be out of nostalgia, it would definitely be a guilty. That's thing. good, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Inspector Gadget too. I think one, sadly for me, is um, sadly, and I'm embarrassed, but uh, I'm. The Master of Disguise. Oh, like, I see how bad it is now <laughs> and how 
gosh darn repetitive and childish Dana Carney becomes. <laughs> and but I don't know. It's just the nostalgia that I go back to. Yeah. It's not the the humor that I like now, but it's just something that brings the child out in me, I guess. <laughs> and even then, I saw it way too late. I think it was about eleven years old. But I don't know. I mean, I could probably still put on some of those Pokemon movies and be like, "Let's do this." Did you cry? Okay. Did you cry at the scene where everyone's crying in no. Pokemon the first movie? <laughs> okay. I, was, I wasn't. I wasn't there yet emotionally. Mm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mew. Okay. Um, Not part of that resuscitative moment. R.I.P. Mm. What's a film? What's a, what's in a film that can qualify it to be a good movie? Well, I mean, if it keeps my interest the whole time, and if it's a movie that when I watch it, I want to watch it alone. Mm-hmm. To me, there's some movies where like, oh, we're in a group and we're watching a movie. Yeah, I'll watch it. But the movie, like those really good movies, like that connect to me on such an emotional level. There's a quality of like, no, no one else can be here for this. This is like me and like the TV and this like these, <laughs> these characters in this story. And movies that can connect to me on that level are like a different tier. Hmm. That's no, definitely not all movies. What's your favorite genre? <sighs> I mean, favorites are hard. Do you like sports no. films? No, they're all right. My favorite, My favorite football movie, uh, and I don't even like football. I don't even like football yeah, but uh, would be <laughs> Remember the Titans. That's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. Disney, but it's, it's. I thought it was pretty powerful. I mean, I love yeah, I love just like those emotional, quirky type movies, like The Truman Show or like Eternal Sunshine of the mm-hmm. Spotless Mind or. Or just like movies like that are that they just deep need and artsy. more Jim Carrey. Deep, <laughs> deep and artsy. Uh, but on the top here, sport movies, the movie Creed. Did you see Creed? Remind me what it is. It's, the, it's like the Rocky movie when yes. Rocky was training yeah. Apollo's oh, yeah. son. It's his grandson. It's or? Apollo's. Uh, Son. Bastard son. Bastard son. Such, <laughs> and that was such a great movie. Yes. Oh my goodness. To be politically correct. And, and see, that was great because it had like all the action of Rocky, but then it had like all the emotions of like those deep indie films I like. And mm-hmm. It was just a really great movie to connect with. I love the Rocky movies. Uh, uh, if you wrote a movie, what would the plot be? Today? If I wrote a movie today. What's your yeah? What's because I wrote a movie tomorrow. I feel like <laughs> who knows what it would be? Exactly, exactly. Would it have a twist? What would the genre be? Who would star as yourself if it's like Frankie's film about you? It would not be about me. <laughs> I, I'd write a book about myself. That's cool. I would not let the book be a movie because hey. it would ruin the book. <laughs> but if there was a movie, I don't know. I feel like I wanted to be claymation. Very I cool. want it to be claymation. Stop motion. And I want it to be about a sloth. <laughs> and he's and he moves in real sloth speed the whole movie. Oh my god. But he goes through all these experiences that are like moving really fast and it's all in real time. It's not exaggerated at all. Wow. You're seeing everything from the sloth's perspective. Huh. Yeah. Just thought of it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. <laughs> um <laughs> So and the sloth's name would be <laughs> Slim. 
Slim. And the movie would be called Hanging with Slim. Very <laughs> <laughs> cool. Don't steal that idea. I shunt. It's, it's on. Mm, shunt. I said it and it's recorded, so it's copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> always is. Always will be. Ask me a hard one. A hard one? Give me a hard one, man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, what's the movie that you love to hate? You know. Oh, I never answered that one. Uh, it gets under your skin. I hate hating things. Yeah. Just in general. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. It's such a hard. I'm normally just like, oh yeah, I, I like, I like it. I like. I'm trying to think. <gasps> ooh, 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 ooh! I know, I know. Oh no. My junior year in high school, for a few friends, it was like the last day of school, so we were going to the movies. And that was before I checked Rotten Tomatoes for, for ratings. Mm-hmm. And it, we were like, it's a Will Smith movie, and it has a son <laughs> in it. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> it was like, how can this be bad? And then it was After Earth by M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. <laughs> and it was us and like two people in the movie theater. And the whole time we were just looking at each yeah. other like, this is awful. There's, there's a lot of hate for M. Night Shyamalan tonight. Because... <laughs> It's a touchy subject. Yeah. yeah. I, I love... Oh, it was it was literally the worst movie I've ever seen in theaters. Really? Yes, easily. Okay. Because Will Smith, he is the most... <laughs> one of the most charismatic... He plays some of the most charismatic characters, sure. likable characters. You just connect with them. You root for him. And then he played this emotionless father uh-huh. who just had to stay in the spaceship the whole time. <laughs> and it was like he was almost like... A boring version of Mufasa talking to us about Simba. It was like, Simba. And we're like, no, just... Uh. It just makes me really angry. Mm. So I love to hate that one. But I gotta be honest, though. The Sixth Sense, M. Night. What went wrong, bro? You had it going mm, on. Right. The Sixth Sense is incredible. It's because he tried to get a Seventh and an Eighth Sense. And, just <laughs> and that part of the, at the end of the Sixth Sense is just like... And they can't, they can't hear my eyes, but if they could, they, they would. He just raises his eyebrows, folks. And you have to be here to believe it. Either of y'all. Um, do y'all uh, enjoy or can't stand silent black and white films from the days of yore? They're all right. I don't mind. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What would, what would be a silent film that you would think uh, would be the the pinnacle of all the silent film era. Uh, I haven't seen any, but I don't have a problem with the as, idea, so... As an outsider, I mean, thinking of one. Like an actual title of one. Because sure. I can't even think you of can a title. Throw, I oh, can't even wow. think of a title of a silent yeah. film, but... I mean, I, I can think of The Artist, which is like a newer one. It's oh, yeah. And that was just all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But Charlie Chaplin is obviously very talented. Okay, yeah. And he was also a very good, you know, talking actor, too, which not a lot of people know. He had many wives. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, That's no. about it, though, good. for tonight. <laughs> <Good. you know? laughs> We're going to wrap up on that. On that <laughs> Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. So, thanks for coming, even though I came here. <laughs> and, uh...